The following movie has been rated by the Motion Picture Association of America. It is intended for mature audiences. Parents may wish to consider whether it should be viewed by children under 17. Uh, I don't know. What the fuck do I know? I don't read comics. <laughs> I don't know. What the fuck do you know? <laughs> do he? <laughs> I don't got a goddamn clue. Oh, wow. Rich Buckler just posted the original black and white cover art to Superman vs. Sazam. Uh, on his... Sucks, huh? Sorry, I'm just kidding. I said he sucks anyway. I thought that's what you said. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> I'm just fucking with you, dude. <laughs> I was like, I, I couldn't possibly have heard that correctly. <laughs> Damn, I, I'd love a poster of that. I actually even have comic stuff to talk about up on the at the beginning. I have something to talk about that I am not trying to wind you up, Scott. Uh-oh. So, please don't take anything that I talk about. I just... My, Rachel and I have been watching something recently, and I've been really enjoying it, and I just wanted to kind of mention it, so... I, I We've been watching Batman break the book. No, no I, oh, all right, that's not what I thought you were going to say. I, you know, I no, don't. No, I don't need Batman Brave and the Bolt, oh, and okay. I've been really, really enjoying it for a very specific reason. So, I just wanted to kind of mention it, but I didn't want you to think that this was me trying to get at you or anything. No, or to wind you up. So, just poke that. your belly. I, I don't think of myself as some sort of hair trigger person that's just gonna no, I, fly off the handle about whoa shit. whoa 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 easy there killer <laughs> yeah <laughs> no uh no it's just you know i didn't want you to think that to talk about something you don't like could be seen as being kind of like you know needling or poking the bear no. which is actually with you uh, you know with, with other with other, i'm like guys we're you know, in a happy so, place here you know, when the whole Man of Steel thing was going on in June, I'm got, I'm like, guys, just leave him the fuck alone, okay? <laughs> just leave him the fuck alone and let him not want to watch the movie. And, and everyone will be happy. No one will get hurt. What do you guys think? I want to do a commentary on it. And I'm not going to do a, like, I'm not going to do, like, a media masochist, but I'll, I want to... See, here's the thing. Trentus Magnus did a commentary on it, and I'm like, shit, I want to listen to his, but I don't want to hear it before... I do one, and I want to do. Um, sort of yeah, I've got to. I've got to send him a message about that, and to to say that uh, I realize that you know you you like to do this podcasting thing differently, but don't get up in the middle of it and go take a smoke break. <laughs> and oh, get it. For, he can't pause. May, the, part of his thing is you have to pause it. <laughs> Who is this? <laughs> Francis Magnus on his let's, Man of Steel commentary. Let's all just pitch in and buy him like an elect e-cigarette so he can smoke and watch it. I think he has those. That's the thing. I think he does too. And I the, don't. Know. In the actual episode that he released, he just gets up and leaves for a smoke break. He's like, I gotta go take a smoke break. Dude, so. he reminds me of me twenty years ago. Somebody, I, that's please, the podcast I would have made twenty years ago. Somebody, dude. please give him shit about that because I think that right there says volumes more about that movie than I could possibly rip on. <laughs> that you would no, actually so up and be like... About, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's something about the addictive power of nicotine, too, but 
Well, no, no, because because I, I you know, three of I my... wonder what point it was that finally the urge, you know, the urge to smoke surpassed the urge to watch the movie. That would be. I'll tell you what, Superman the movie is a movie that I could quote to you backwards. But I would sit there and piss my pants before I got up and left in it. You know, <laughs> so I, I'm serious. I think that bring just... a two liter empty two liter bottle into the theater. I hear whenever Superman is <laughs> playing. Well, it's nine. Do we want to get cranking? Sure. Yeah, let's, get, let's crank. Get, let's get this party started. Yank it, crank it, but don't wake up and thank it. Oh Jesus! What the fuck did you? Ted just Nugent. Do? Oh, I'm gonna do a song right now. It's called "Yank Me, Crank Me, But Don't Wake Up and Thank Me." Uh, what is wrong with is he you? Still in the country? I, I know this is a stupid question, but are you high? What? <laughs> How dare you, sir? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and now it's time to sit back and enjoy. The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hardworking people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer. If he be worthy, she'll possess the power of thought. This looks like a job for Superman. Let's roll! Hey! Let's hear it for Captain America! It's a dying man! It's the Rocketeer! Gentlemen, you're up. Ho, and welcome to Comics Monthly Monday, number 57, as in Heinz. And here with the awesome sauce, it's me, Chris Honeywell. And, of course, the other two, Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? I can actually see his eye rolls in the waveforms when I'm editing these episodes. Well, you guys are, are that good of friends. So. <laughs> and Michael Bailey. He's Bentley. that full of shit. That's the problem. Yeah, well. Are his eyes that brown? Hey, everybody. Hey. <laughs> the band is back together. Hey. Hey. Oh, hell. Yeah. <laughs> After months of people being slack asses and not being on the show... We are together again. It's kind of like the Muppets, except, you know, without people with hands up our asses. Yeah, well... <laughs> so you think. I was just going to say, speak for yourself. <laughs> Is that that pressure I'm feeling? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> Howdy there, buckaroo. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd fall out of the chair. Right, years ago, when I was working at uh, Walmart, when I first moved to Georgia, we, we I was up a crap job, but we were getting like returns from the front, and uh, there was a puppet in one of the returns, and I was just sitting there like sorting stuff, and suddenly I grabbed the puppet, 
and started like playing with it, and everyone was laughing, and then suddenly I started yelling, "Get your hand out of my ass! Get your hand out of my ass!" <laughs> <laughs> no one wanted to sit next to me in the break room after that one. So. This episode is like that that really cheesy Temple of Doom video game. Welcome. I loved that game. I played it. That we'll be hearing about that later. But where you know you're on the mine carts and you don't really know how to work it the first time and it's like ready, set, go and then you just fall right off the mine cart <laughs> right. the first second as <laughs> the show is just like Yeah, it was it would just start <laughs> at the beginning <laughs> museum. Every time it's like damn it. Oh my god, I probably spent about fifteen thousand dollars in quarters playing that game. <laughs> With the it was a gr- it was a good game, except the it was one of those ones where they they hadn't truly developed like simulated 3D yet. So instead, they gave you like perspective, but the perspective was shit on every level. So you couldn't truly tell like what was really up and like what was down. And when you would step out of a like out of a doorway into a ledge. Were you really on the ledge or not? So you just fall to your death you and find out by plummeting. Yeah, right. Oh, man. am I really about to? Oh yeah, I really died. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, I got to whip eight feet away from the snake's head, then it disappears. Right. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the good old days. Oh man. That was the one where the, the pit door kept opening and closing, opening and closing. Yeah. So you'd stand there for like 20 minutes just watching it do that so that you had to like, okay, I've got this. You, you know, you get the timing just right. You'd run, jump, die every time. It didn't matter when the hell you push jump, you would just die. And it was yeah. like, ah. I don't know why I played that game. It would just frustrate me so much. Great graphic for its time, though the graphics and the sound were really good on. We're that good, game. yeah. Sensing a theme in your life, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. What are we talking about? We are talking about comic books. Comic books. Who reads we're those? We're talking about how one day the three of us are going to get in a car together. We're going to drive and find whoever wrote that uh, the, this uh, one country song that actually has the lyrics more laughs than a stack of comic books and we're just going to take turns kicking the guy in the nuts <laughs> over and over again it'll be like 97 years old <laughs> no this was a song from the 90s oh it so. was oh okay he deserves it then oh it might be it might, yeah it might be some greasy mustache hipster aging <laughs> hipster dude in that case I'm down. <laughs> I'm there, man. Don't get me in no plane, though. <laughs> you ain't gonna get me no plane. <laughs> We're driving there, though, fool. So, uh, who wants to go first with uh, what, what, what what we've been doing in the comics? Well, I got a fairly queen... 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 Huh? queen. <laughs> it's that English <laughs> breakfast. Dude. Yeah, no, not the band. No, a clean segue into uh that from was not a clean segue not yeah. even no, remotely resemble i had a clean segue into into my because that's um part of my comics stuff for this month is i went to the strong museum in rochester and they pretty much that's where i played those but they have a whole setup of video games throughout the ages on Drum. the floor 
<laughs> basically had just about every video game that I remember from when we were kids, and including that Indiana Jones game, which I played one one time just to say I played it, and was just like, oh yeah, that was as difficult and sucky as I remember it. I did get to play the original Star Wars console game with the great, you know, controller on it. And, uh, oh, um, I got to play a modern Tron, um, Tron sequel pinball machine that was kind of shitty. It was pretty boring. (laughs) Robotron was what was, I could have just pumped quarters into Robotron all day. Oh, it was, see, see, they even had the tank battle one. Um, I said, I said, I said a few records. They reset them every day, so I set a few daily records, which I put up on the Two True Freak site on um, Missile Command, and I can't remember which. I probably was Robotron. But anyway, the Strong Museum is a museum of play, so it's a huge toy museum, basically, and the whole first floor is just made for little kids to run around in. You know, it's got a miniature Wegmans um, grocery store. It's got a recreation of the Sesame Street set for them to run around on. Ooh, that's cool. But I haven't been in there since they put in the superhero display, which is pretty much a permanent display, which means everywhere there's giant, you know, models of Spider-Man and Superman and everywhere, just interspersed where all the little kids can play, are bookshelves full of, you know, big phone book comics. Just hundreds of them, like, interspersed all the way, all the way around. And then lots of display. They had a beautiful display of all the old comics ads, you know, for like x-ray Ooh. specs and stuff. But then they had the actual items right next to them so you'd see the x-ray specs in their package as you would get them in the mail and sometimes they would even have the little box with them so that was neat seeing all that stuff you know bald head wig and all the stuff that you could see you know in in the co- those comic book ads it would be on the back cover usually um they had in there and they had a nice spider-man one with some really old early um amazing what was it, Amazing Fantasy in there and Spider-Man number one, you know, behind plexiglass. Oh, wow. So as I was looking at the Star Wars toys in the concession area, um, the woman behind the thing was like, we're having a Star Wars weekend next weekend with the 501st here. So that place is, they had giant um, Star Wars spaceships, all, all spaceships from Star Trek, Star Wars, made out of toothpicks. Humongous. They yeah, were, I saw your pictures. That was really cool. Didn't really do them justice unless you can get right. They were just. It didn't. That those pictures didn't really give the scale of them enough to and the detail. You couldn't get close enough to them to really get a good shot of the detail that went into them. But man, what a nerd-friendly city I live in. You know, we have a museum that just basically. It's a it's a you know great place to just throw your kids in for an afternoon and let them get a taste for comic books. I think if they have a library card, they can even sign them out. And I have been reading tons and tons and tons of comics. I've read two big phone books of House of Mystery comics. 
Um, lots of uh, a whole big Judge Dredd Cursed Earth comic. I've been reading the old Spider-Man, you know, from um, Amazing Fantasy 15, Essential, Essential Number 1. But best of all, I finally, finally, finally started reading Sandman. Thanks to Kelly Logue. I, I got, I'm thinking the last package from him or a, another big package of it. And it was full of trades of all the Sandman stories. And wow, I, I think I'm on the fifth trade. Really good. Really, really good. Have either of you read Sandman before? I have scattered issues and maybe even a bit of a run from right around like issue like 50 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And up until I got those issues, it was one of those things that was always on my list because everybody talks about how awesome it is and everything. But in a couple of years ago, I I was like, you know, I really need to complete this so I can sit down and read it. But then I picked out the issues that I have and started flipping through them. And I got to be honest, the art is so rough in those that I I don't I mean it would really have to be an incredible read See, for those me to are, get past the visual part of it, it the, I thought the art was really bad but the early the early the ones I'm reading are all have sort of that swamp thing look to them you know the more era swamp thing and basically the whole premise of the thing seems to be set pretty much in the world that Alan Moore set up in in Swamp Thing with Hell and all the in between right. lands and stuff like that. Because so, Cain and Abel um, show back up from House of Mystery, you know, is living and and basically so a lot of the characters that that well Moore didn't create but he sort of rejiggered show up in this as continuations of that story. Etrigan shows up, the demon. But uh, and those stories were great, but there's one part with involving uh, Midsummer's Night Dream, the Shakespeare play, and I was like, oh, is this going to be another one of those like, oh, here's how this got invented, Shakespeare thing, and um, it was, but it was fantastic. It was just I was reading that, that is the great one. comic experience reading that. If I'm correct, that is the one that won some kind of science fiction award. It should have. That they immediately changed the rules for so that a comic could never win it never again. again. It should never win again. It should have won. It, there was a moment in there <laughs> where, you know, they put on Midsummer's Night Dream. And I'm familiar with the play because I was in it when I was a kid in like a summer kids theater thing. And it's, you know, it's all set in the woods and it's a sort of, you know, almost like the Three's Company of its of Shakespeare. You know, a romantic comedy of people misunderstanding everything. So basically the 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 char- the main character in the in Sandman has commissioned this play from Shakespeare in order to show it to all the characters who are in the play, because like the fairy king Oberon and Titania, the Queen and Puck are all in this play, and they're messing around with mortals, and so that all these supernatural beings come out to watch Shakespeare and his company put on Midsummer's Night Dream, and 
And I was like, this is going to be cheesy. It's There's one point where Puck is watching it and he goes, none of this ever happened, but this play is completely true. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> that about sums up <laughs> everything See, to me. It was amazing. Sandman for me is kind of funny because I, uh, I'm one of those people that in high school, you know, of, of all the things to get talked down about or whatever, it's like the people that I knew that read Sandman were the biggest douchebags on the face of the planet about the fact that they, you know, read Sandman. Yeah. Like that made them awesome, basically. And let's the only issue that way. They didn't start reading. They probably didn't start reading it from issue one either. You know what I mean? There but uh, my my sister actually read that book, mm-hmm. and that was the weird thing because she did nothing but give me shit about reading comics. And then I come home from like a vacation, and suddenly she's like picked up a bunch of issues. And the one that I read that really stuck with me was the Serial Killer Convention. Yes, um, which is just. It's this amazing, it's a serial convention, but it's a bunch of, you know, people who kill other people. And apparently that's one that Neil Gaiman, I, I don't want to say he got in trouble for it, but basically he he got some heat for it because one of the characters talks about the fact that he would just uh, go away baiting all day long to the point where he couldn't do it anymore. And apparently, one of the editors told him that people in the in the, in the DC universe don't do that. So <laughs> it, it's it's one Poor of those DC things that I, universe. <laughs> it, it's one of those things that I really want to read at some point. But God, there's just like a thousand other things that I want to get to first. <laughs> so I, you know, I mean, the only reason I read it is because there it was. I'm like, what excuse do I have? So I, you know, so I threw them on the top of the to read list and i'm like i'll just read the first one but it's one of those things where i read the first one and then immediately i'm on the second one and the third one and the fourth one it's a it's i like it a lot of course what it's been out 20 years now (laughs) so finally so at least i missed the whole hype at at least i wasn't reading it during the the pretentious time although i should have i during that time i probably I think that and Preacher were coming out, and a lot of my friends were like, you got to read Preacher, and I never read that either. And I've heard good things about it. A lot of the stuff, though, that's really good, you know, and like Alan Moore's stuff, a lot of, like, the judgment on that stuff, besides Alan Moore being just, like, batshit crazy, is not as much the material, but the people who who read it, who read the material and made it popular or jumped on the bandwagon when it was popular. Yeah, it's like, like the cult of personality can, that springs up around it. it. Yeah, they, they, they can they can put their stank on it, and then it's just like, I don't want to read that. The douchebag at work read it and was like, you know, he was full of shit. <laughs> I don't want to read no douchebag shit. I'm going to make a t-shirt of that. Yeah, that's that's about it. I've been reading... Every day, pretty much. So I, I don't know what's next. I'm thinking may, I've got so many phone books to start with, and I don't know whether I want to go Fantastic Four or something like... I've I've got Man-Thing, but I don't know how consistently good it'll be. <laughs> but I'm interested to read those early Man-Thing. I, th- I think I realize, Scott, 
Yuzums in Splinter the Mind's Eye. Right, yeah. I think they were supposed to be Man Thing. I think somebody was, <laughs> I think he was paying tribute to Man Thing because I was looking at a picture of it and I was just like, you know, that's about the description of a Yuzum. Yeah. Now that you say that, I, I can make that mental connection, yeah. But that's about all I got. What do you got, Mike? A couple different things. One, the uncomfortable sensation of when the guy who works in the production office of Walking Dead comes into your work and asks you what you think of the new season and you haven't even watched a single episode of the series. Whoops. That was a little uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> nice guy. Story. Hell of a nice guy, but, you know. What was he looking? What was he shopping for? Oh, they they buy their supplies from us. Compliments. Their, the, Compliments is the, what he was shopping for. <laughs> and Mike <laughs> didn't give him any. <laughs> No, seriously, the, the the Walking Dead production office uses the Office Depot I work at as their office supply store. So he's in there like three or four times a week looking tired as hell. Uh-huh, I'll bet. So, uh, but he's a nice guy. I mean, everyone everyone wants to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to talk to him. So... But, it, but I was checking him out because he was buying some envelopes. He's like, hey, what do you think of the new season? I'm like... How I'm do I get out of this stocking, You go, I'm too busy stocking the shelves. <laughs> so, Watch it. A uh, couple recommendations. One, I bought Necessary Evil Supervillains of DC Comics. It's a documentary that just came out. And at first, I, I you know, walking into it, I was like, okay, it's only 10 bucks, so I'll pick it up. And it's just going to be full of nothing but new 52 stuff and all that. No. I mean, there, there, there's a the very, very end of it covers the New 52, but it is all about the entire history of the bad guys from the DC Universe and the artwork that they use. Again, I was expecting it to be nothing but new stuff. And then when they were talking about Sinestro, they start showing artwork from Emerald Dawn 2. And I'm like, holy crap, they're, they're actually the length and breadth of the universe. And they talk to Len Wein, they talk to Marv Wolfman, Paul Levitz is in there, Mike Carlin. So if you find it at Walmart, it's only 10 bucks. It's two hours. It's narrated by Christopher Lee. So, I mean, it's, it was actually a very, very well put together documentary. The only moment that I had, like, that that you know my my rackles got ha- raised or however the hell you want to say that is uh, Brian Azzarello talking about Lex Luthor because he wrote that Lex Luthor Man of Steel miniseries that made me want to punch somebody in the face. Uh, so that was the only part where I was you know in any way upset, but just seeing the artwork that they chose for each of the characters is worth the price of admission on this one. Also, recently, because it's on Netflix, my wife Rachel and I have been going through the entire series of Batman Brave and the Bold, which I watched like on and off when it was first on and kind of poo-pooed. I just can't believe I just used the term poo-poo. Now Scott's giggling. Um, I'm just thinking of that Green Jelly song about shit. Poo-poo! Poo-poo! Yeah, I guess guys probably don't have any idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> From the other room, my wife asked if I was five. Um, <laughs> yes. The answer I, uh, to that question is, yeah, if somebody asks you, if you are question. five, you say, yes! If they ask you, yes. the answer's all right, and yes. Shit at them. Um, <laughs> it doesn't have to be yours, just do it. No, but... Here, here's the Tell thing. Tell her that makes her a pedophile. 
<laughs> I like. Well, she technically is, anyways, because I'm only nine, you know, in leap years. Oh, so. oh, that's right. So, I am a. You know, I have read a bunch of issues of Brave and the Bold when Batman when it was a Batman book, essentially, from like the late '60s and the '70s and the '80s. And I love that title. I absolutely love it because those team up titles, Brave and the Bold, DC Comics Presents, Marvel Team Up, uh, Marvel Two on One. I mean, Two and One. I mean, Two and One. See, Two and One sounds worse than Two on One. You know, when you really think about it, they're both like sexually suggestive. It depends on what your definition of worse but, is, too. <laughs> but. The great thing about those titles, and I think both of you will agree with me on this, is the random nature of it made the stories just a ball of fun to read. Oh, yeah. You had no idea what was coming next month. Well, you sort of did because they'd tell you somewhat, but... Part of it, too, I think part of the advantage that Brave and the Bold had, and and it's funny because I hear this as a common criticism these days that's leveled against the series, is Bob Haney. Bob Haney was crazy, and he didn't give a shit at all about continuity or making things giant multiple Earths or anything like that. And what's funny is normally that's the kind of thing that would really irritate me, Mr. Continuity Guy, but it works for that title because, come Mm -hmm. on, you've got what? Was it like 23 pages or whatever to tell this story? You couldn't afford to jump through those hoops every single issue Mm -hmm. If you wanted to get Batman to hang out with Sergeant Rock, so he just didn't shit, you know, Doctor Fate, yeah, you know, any of those guys. So he just threw them together, man, and you know, and and continuity and multiple Earths and all that. Be damned! I want these two to hang out together, so I'm gonna have them hang out together. And you know, I respect that. I think that that's really cool. That was part of the magic of that series. I think. The- and and I think I think it was you and I, I I don't know if it was a back to the bins or whatever but we talked about I think it was the one where he teamed up with Richard Dragon we're in the middle of the story Batman yeah. and Richard Dragon are flying coach <laughs> and you're know. like what <laughs> <laughs> I know so so you know and but the, it was also a nice little introduction to characters in the DC universe that you may never have heard of oh yeah you know so. so on that level, it was an exciting book to read. You mentioned Wildcat. I think that might have been the first time I ever saw Wildcat and didn't know who he was. And I assumed for the, for a very long time, I thought that Wildcat was the Batman of Earth 2. Until mm-hmm. I realized there actually was a Batman of Earth 2. That's who I thought he was supposed to be. Because all the Earth 2 versions were always just a little bit off from the Earth-1. You know, like Green Lantern and Green Lantern didn't look anything like each other. Flash and Flash didn't. So I thought Wildcat, man, he kind of looks like Batman with droopy ears. So I thought that's who he was until, like I say, you know, I I learned that there actually, nope, there were two Batmans, and, you know, they were pretty similar, really. But, yeah, and and DC Comics Presents serve the same purpose for me, too. Uh, You know, I was just mentioning... uh, to Andy Leyland on Facebook the other night, uh, we were talking about uh, Dead Man. That was my introduction to Dead Man, one of my favorite comic book characters, and that spun out of having seen him take over Superman's body in, uh, in DC Comics Presents. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know that those titles would work today because they've tried many times to resurrect the, the classic team-up, and it just never recaptures the flavor, but man, those are... Those are something that sure worked, you know, 
for us when we were kids. I love those those old books. So with that mindset in mind, I started going through the animated Brave and the Bold again. I was like, I got to give this another shot. You know, maybe maybe I missed something. And yes, the show could get extremely goofy. But I have had, and Rachel have had, so much fun watching this show. Because it literally is, who is going to show up out of the DC Universe next? They had a shot of the Green Lantern Corps, and there, in his Disney-looking outfit, was Chip. Chip, yeah, I remember that one. And I was just like, that's Chip! Chip, my favorite alien Green Lantern of all time. I'm not being facetious. I'm not joking around. Chip was my favorite. Because once I got the joke, especially since his best friend on his planet was Dale, I was in. And Dr. Ubix has a Disney uh, reference in there, too, as, from what I understand. Um, so, Do you know if that's on Netflix? This- yeah, Raven the Bold's on Netflix. Uh, unfortunately, it's one of those things where they go up to a certain point and they stop. And unfortunately, they stop in the middle of a two-parter. <laughs> but we haven't gotten there yet. But seriously, I'm not saying, you know, watch this as like the true representation of who Batman is. But if you want to have a fun time and kind of go back to that feeling you got when you read Brave and the Bold, or even if you're reading back issues of Brave and the Bold and just enjoying it, just watch it because it's I, 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 I'm not trying to wind anybody up either. It's just I, I have just had the most fun in a long time of watching anything from animated live action movies, whatever, just seeing Red Tornado and Wildcat voiced by R. Lee Ermey of all people. And in and every episode every episode be- begins with him like teamed with one with like a weird hero and then there would be like the main story. And in the preview one it's him and Jay Garrick. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a ama- and the Jonah Hex episode I mean, I would never think that you could combine Mongol, Jonah Hex, and the female Furies from Jack Kirby's Fourth World and have it actually work as a story. Yeah, I saw that one. I I did enjoy that one. Especially since he and Lashina hooked up at the end of it. (laughs) Rachel and I were watching that episode, and and, and Jonah Hex and Lashina are fighting, right? And it's very obvious that they're flirting as they're doing this. And when Batman stops the fight, Jonah has this utter, like, dude, you're cock-blocking me. Get the hell out of here look on his face. It is hysterical to see. And I thought it was a pretty good representation of Jonah, uh, you know, in the look and the voice of the character. Uh, you're, you're the expert, so I will defer to you on that. But, no, I thought uh, so, I, too. So uh, I did all, enjoy that. See, I, that that series gets the leg up on on that particular thing because that's one thing that Brave and the Bull, the the classic comic, never got a chance to do was Batman and Jonah Hex, and I I always wish that they would. I'm surprised that they never did because there was actually a um, Batman and Scalp Hunter issue that was pretty damn good. But again, you know, here here was Haney not really caring too much about the mechanics of the whole thing, and yeah, the, just, the way that Batman gets back to the old West is just 
you know, it's almost insulting in its stupidity, but it still made for a great story. It was a lot of fun just to see Batman, you know, hanging around with this Indian back during Civil War times. It was a hoot, you know, and uh, and I wish that they had done something like that with uh, with Jonah, because one of the the best like you know entrances into a story was uh, one of the Apero issues with Batman and Commandy because it starts out and Batman's already there in yeah. the great disaster times being chased by I think it's I think it's apes on horseback if I remember right like right out of Planet of the Apes and it was just like he just throws you into the middle of the story you have no idea what the hell's going on but that was the that was the splash opener was you know Batman in this post-apocalyptic you know Planet of the Apes looking world being chased by something on horses and i was just like oh my god i mean if you ever see that page it's just it's gorgeous in its detail the thing about the animated series though that's that has really kind of taken me by surprise more than i thought it would is how sometimes it goes deep and you're not really expecting it to now the one of the episodes which is the red tornado creating a sun for himself was kind of touching and sad all at the same time, and then you realize it's written by J.M. DeMatteis, so that sort of thing's going to happen in a story he writes. But there is a Christmas story that that did something about halfway through it that I literally sat up and said, are you fucking kidding me? In a Christmas episode, you're going to bring this into it? Like, holy crap! And I'm going to put up a spoiler warning real quick, so cut ahead a few minutes if you don't want to hear about this. But through the so last warning spoilers if you haven't seen it yet and want to be surprised okay so this is what they do they have batman teamed up with red tornado and red tornado wants to find the spirit of christmas so right away you think oh light and bouncy episode where the android learns what the meaning of christmas is and they start showing flashbacks of bruce as a little boy so right away they're tugging at your heartstrings right Bruce Wayne, as a little boy, getting a present with his parents, right? So then they give him this nutcracker. And his dad's like, my father gave this to me, and now I'm giving it to you. And Bruce has a temper tantrum and throws the toy against the wall. And it breaks. And you're like, okay, so he's feeling bad because probably the last Christmas before his parents were shot, he, you know, had this temper tantrum and he feels bad about it. So then they cut to the same day, Christmas Day, him and his parents coming out of a fucking movie theater, going into an alleyway, and getting shot! In the Christmas episode. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> and, my, and my wife goes, oh, Bruce oh, Wayne oh, killed oh, his own parents by being a brat. Oh, 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 oh. Now, I don't think that that's actually an original idea. Now, the Christmas angle sounds like it is, but the idea of, of little Bruce being, you know, kind of a little bastard just prior to his parents being murdered, wasn't that in a fairly modern take <laughs> on the... that? Yeah, I've heard that before that somewhere. Like the Grant Morrison Legends of the Dark Knight. Uh, storyline gothic he wrote kind of insinuated that Bruce's father took him out of boarding school because there was some abuse going on and to it's like I'm really sorry that I put you in there to make it up for you we're going to go out to a movie and you realize that it's that night so yeah they, they've done stuff like that before 
But it's just like, really, in the middle of the Christmas episode, Death of the Wings. So, <laughs> on this ostensibly light and goofy cartoon. So, that, I, I think that's what really kept me going with it. As if like, bodies were falling to the ground and it freeze frame and go, it's a Batman Christmas! No, no, <laughs> what, what happened is, is that they went into the alleyway. And you saw, like, you know, it was totally dark, and you saw two flashes of gunshots, and there was really no sound, and it was really effective. Which, again, it's just like, Merry Christmas, death of your parents. So, because at first I'm wah, like, well, this. Wah, wah. <laughs> no, seriously, at first, I, at first, I was, I, I was, I was legitimately like, wow, I may have found a new Christmas tradition that, you know, like, you know, I watched that Justice League one that we did the commentary for. You know, I, I'll break that out every Christmas because I think it's fun. It's like Thanksgiving. I'll watch like a certain episode of Quantum Leap that has to do with Thanksgiving because God knows the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving special makes me want to beat Peppermint Patty to death with a tire iron, Joker style. <laughs> but doesn't anything that Peppermint Patty's in? Uh, no, particularly that special because she invites herself over to Charlie Brown's house and then complains because he doesn't have dinner cooked. That's the Thanksgiving you know, one. Yeah, yeah, that's so yeah, that's what I was saying. Okay. Is that, I was uh, saying that there, there's different shows I'll watch on different holidays. Regardless of that, which one is and, you're touching my hand, Chuck? That's the one. <laughs> when it was very obvious in that that Marcy had the thing for Char- Charlie Brown, uh, which is why whenever He's trying they tried to get to him in a three way, give the kids I thought some Marcy credit had for Peppermint Patty, and Peppermint Patty was the man of the couple because <laughs> he was ridiculous. <laughs> Did you just brody me? I did actually, and I'm ashamed of myself now. I was about to say, (laughs) he does not want to fuck Mr. Weatherby. (laughs) Which is just a funny statement to say on its own. Um, Comic book wise, I have recently reread the first 25 issues of JSA. uh, The, you know, that started by James Robinson and David Goyer and then taken over by Jeff Johns. And it is amazing how well that title holds up. You know, like fifteen, uh, thirteen years later. God, don't say that. Is it really that long ago? Yeah, oh my exactly. God, dude. Jesus I'm, I'm very Christ! Started, Christ. She just started in 1999, so right around the time oh. I met my wife is when that show that that series started. So that's 14 years ago. Man, <laughs> you'd ask me, hey Scott, how long ago was JSA by uh, by Jeff? John? I'd have been like, oh, let's see, I don't know, like 2006 or something. Uh, oh my God, <laughs> you just made me feel 100 years old. Really, it's that old already. It's it's as old as Logan. That's oh man, that's that's scary. Yeah, I love it. it. For a book that started right out of the gate pissing me off, that was a really good book. I, I really enjoyed that. Because that very first issue, Fate stumbles in out of the, like, the, what are they, in a cemetery or something? Yeah, they're in the cemetery. And he stumbles uh, out with a knife in his back. Funeral. And, yeah, they just, like, very unceremoniously bumped him off. And I, I was like, really? Wait, 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 you liked Fate? I See, that's the thing. I didn't. I, I didn't have like an attachment to the character or anything, I but I understood what they were going for. I thought that he was interesting in concept, just not really in the delivery. But I respected the fact that finally somebody was trying to do something new and original with that character concept because I, that's a character I felt never really was all that interesting or great to begin with, but had really kind of played out to a point where it's like, all right, let's do something different, you know? So 
I respected the fact they were trying to, and the whole thing where he actually had to keep Fate's cape wrapped around his arm to keep his arm from going all army, uh, you know, Evil Dead on him and everything. I, you know, like I say, it wasn't the greatest concept, but he had a cool look. He had a cool power set, and I think before they like mid series, like mildly rebooted it with Keith Giffen, it was kind of going somewhere. I picked all that shit up somewhere. I think it was Quest. Probably for in, about a quarter. Yeah, of the it, it was. Like yeah, that. exactly. It was. It was when Quest in Carrollton looked like it was going to be going out of business, and they were selling shitloads of stock to whatever the hell the other comic shop in Carrollton at the time was. And that guy I was really good friends with, and so he was giving me, like, massive deals on comics coming into the show, especially if it was like that, you know, Z-grade shit that nobody cared about. You know, like, there was that, there was uh, that Tachyon book, there was Walt Simonson's New Gods, you know, just all the Mm -hmm. stuff that as it turns out, Firebrand was another one. You know, stuff that wasn't selling worth a damn. But actually, if you took the time to read it, wasn't you know, it wasn't bad stuff. You know, like I mean, it wasn't lighting the world on fire, but it was decent books. And I found the first incarnation of Fate to be pretty good. I mean, I was enjoying it. Like I say, not great, but it was like, eh, you know, these are decent, you know, you know, decent reads and everything. And then, like I say, they did like a mid-series. Yeah, because they changed it to Book of Fate at Book one of point. Fate. Yeah, and took it over. Yeah, and and Giffen got his hands on it and like mildly rebooted it. It, it was like a it was a weird mix between like a retcon and a reboot, and took a concept that. Yeah, it was it was kind of all right, and I was enjoying it, and and muddied it up just enough to where eh, I don't know if I'm digging this anymore. He made him a little more, um, I'm not sure what he was going for. To me, it was like he was trying to go with like a uh, like a Hellblazer feel or something, and so he made the character all like hip, smart talking, you know, wise ass kind of thing, and and it just wasn't working. And it was not long after that the book died. And then not longer after that, that he popped up in the you know first couple of pages of JSA and got a knife in the back. So I mean, what? I can't feel sorry for the guy because he was never anything. You know, he was barely on the radar. But at the same rate, I I'm not a fan, and and John does this kind of shit all the time. I'm John's not a fan write that of issue. taking other people's characters and just unceremoniously bumping them off because you think that they're. You know, they're nothing, you know, and they've done that with so many characters, you know, over the years. And it's like, you know, I always wonder, how do the creators feel about that? You know, it's funny you bring that up. This just happened to me last night where uh, somebody, we we got into a discussion about um, Sentinel. It was a couple of miniseries through Marvel years ago about it. It's basically like a kid and his robot. It was like a, like a spoof on iron giant except that this kid had a sentinel and somebody clued me in that hey by the way if you like this character he was in what the hell was it avengers academy which became avengers arena and then somebody somebody chimed up and was like oh by the way you might not want to check that out but they didn't want to spoil anything for me so i'm rereading sentinel right and Mm -hmm. 
I'm getting to the end of the first series, and just out of curiosity, I was looking, I was like, I wonder if there's anything between, like, this series and when he pops up in The Avengers, because I knew that there was a good number of years in between the two. So I Wikipedia him right quick and accidentally spoiled myself on what the thing was that the guy's telling me, hey, by the way, don't read this because, you know, you're not going to like it. And damned if they didn't bump the character off. I'm like, God damn it. You know, so now not only am I spoiled on the story, but he's right. And I wouldn't like that because, again, it sounds like, according to the article I was reading, that he met a pretty, like, you know, pedestrian death. You know, he just bumped off for bumped off sake. And I, I just, you know, I don't like that kind of thing. I mean, granted, maybe that's a little more realistic because not everybody meets, you know, uh, an awesome, spectacular death saving the world. You know, sometimes people just, you know, die in a car crash or whatever. But at the same rate, it's like, damn it, you know, when you're, when you're following these characters and you're invested in their story and then somebody just sails in and goes, ah, this character's shit and just knocks them off, you know, for for a well, cheap thrill or, or, you know, an impact at the beginning of a story or something. It just, I feel cheated. It's like, well, I, invect, I invested, a, you know, $3.25 into buying this character's 19-issue run. <laughs> I expected a little bit more return well, on investment, you know? And I don't want you to think that I'm that I'm that I was like you like that like what what's wrong with you because you're literally the first person I've ever heard of that has said anything positive about <laughs> and that probably version. the last one too and probably the last but that but that's beside the point is that I think at least in this case and and I agree with you uh, sometimes when they bump a character off like I was uh, I was really disappointed back during the beginning of New Krypton that they brought Agent Liberty back who was a character I liked quite a yeah, bit yeah. And then, and then they immediately bumped him off, which, and I can say this because I was the one that that was in the interview with with Jeffrey and I for From Crisis to Crisis, and I'm not doing that to plug the show. I'm just mentioning it as a course because apparently you think I do that too much, or at least you've ribbed me about that in the past. <laughs> I like to tease uh, you about it. Um, you know, he made a comment about it, like that he didn't. You know, it's just like you know why why don't you do do that with another character? You know, and and, and I think it does bother the creators. However. To be fair, with JSA, it served a real purpose to the story because in that issue, in that storyline, Mordrew was knocking off a bunch. He killed Kid Eternity too, and he was bumping off all these magic users to try to get to the Helmet of Fate, and that eventually led to the creation of the new Doctor Fate, whose identity. It's like, it's really funny that you have that reaction that it pissed you off. Because to me, the first like twenty five issues of JSA were James Robinson and David Goyer, and then Jeff Johns and David Goyer fixing like everything that had been done wrong to the JSA. Oh yeah, I mean over the course of the nineties. Don't get me wrong; it didn't last long because yeah, that that book was spectacular, especially the the earliest issues of it. So no, I mean don't don't get me wrong; I love JSA, the Injustice Society arc. Or the Injustice Gang, the new one with Johnny Sorrow and Black Adam shows up. Oh yeah, and very and very quickly, it's like Black Adam's not there to be the villain. He wants to, you know, kind of redeem himself because of all this other stuff that happened, and the artwork. And it was like for a book about ostensibly like the old guys of the of the DC universe, they made that every bit as hard hitting. And as like edge of your seat, I have to read the next issue of this 
book as JLA at the time was, or any of the DC books. It really became very quickly my favorite book. And just on a whim, I you know I read up to when they brought Hawkman back, and I was just surprised at how well. Because sometimes you go and read books from like 14 years ago that you loved, and they're, it's just like, eh, it's still good, but man, you know, it, this doesn't hold up or that doesn't hold up. Every bit of this series holds up, and I'm really excited, not that I'm going to be buying it, but that it will be available to people that maybe haven't read it. They're doing an omnibus of that. Really? Yeah, they're including the first 25 issues of the series, the annual, which was associated with Manhunter, the the Archie Goodwin, Walt Simonson Manhunter, and the whole Justice Society Returns event that preceded the series, JSA Returns, where they had, like, the two specials and then the the, the oh, All-Star yeah, Comics yeah, 1 and yeah. 2 and all that. That's all in there, too. Wow. So it's just like, I'm like, that's amazing that it, and and yet you you're you're selling it cuz you could put Jeff Johns on it but it's like one of those times where well that's a good thing cuz then people will go and check this out mm-hmm. and see you know just how awesome this series was so but that's basically it for me i i'd say one thing that uh even though you know he dies in that story one thing i did appreciate though is if they were going to bump him off i always appreciated that uh they completely ignored the Keith Giffen fate and they went yeah. with fate as he looked because he was he was back in the red jumpsuit you know the one you know the the full body one piece whatever you call it leotard or whatever and uh you know the long hair and all. I, I actually like that quite a bit but uh yeah they seem to sidestep all that stuff like completely oh yeah so yeah definitely yeah they 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 bumped him off so they could bring back you know dr fate which yeah that's fine and then it turned out well because again that 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 corrected something that I kind of you know that connects Chris to Sandman because Doctor nice. Fate the new Doctor Fate was Hector Hall right yeah they re- they finally resolved Sandman. that whole thing with uh, with Lita and all that <laughs> yeah I uh, I gave Chris a link to. Uh... <laughs> The character's profile on Comic Vine, and as I scroll down the page, which I hadn't done before, I see there's a picture of uh, a Faye with a knife in his back at the very bottom of it. I'm like, oh, okay. I figure that's why Chris has been so quiet. He saw that and gave up on life for a couple minutes. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's why they were in the cemetery. It was Wesley Dodd's funeral. That's yeah, right. Cause he had, funeral. Yeah, he had he just died gone. in the uh, Secret Files and Origins. That's right. That came out the month before. Th- that book coming out was huge because JLA at the time was a it was an institution. It was it was a brand that you put on there. You right. know everything they, they they could put JLA on a title and it would sell just because it had JLA on it. So at some point I get based on the success, I'm assuming of Starman and the fact that James Robinson kept those golden age characters alive when they tried to once again, retire them during zero hour. They're like, you know what? We can slap JSA on this. And it, it became just as much of a branding as JLA did. And I always appreciate it. And, and really going back and kind of rereading one compared to the other. While I like Grant Morrison's JLA, it's one of the my one of the my favorite things that he's ever done. I I will put JSA heads and tails above that 
Oh yeah. Uh, you know, even though it was the big guns of the DC universe, JSA the the stakes were high in like every single story. When they went out and did something, it was like a huge deal even though it was these again, ostensibly and I'm not saying this to be insulting because I think I don't think Scott and I could ever be accused of being insulting towards the Justice Society <laughs> at all. They made these kind of B-list supposedly B-list characters, A-listers like that. I mean, oh, yeah. just by telling good stories with them mm-hmm. that engaged you on some level. So if you haven't found the trades, because the trades are still in print, and, and you want to read it all at once, you know, go to the Amazon page at twotruefreaks.com and pre-order the, the omnibus, because you get a pretty substantial discount. Uh, through Amazon because they always do that, and it's just it's it'll be well worth the money. But that's all I got. What about you, Scott? Um, not really too much. Uh, I, I've taken a brief hiatus from my read through of uh, of Star Wars Legacy of the Force, just because uh, I, I just needed some comics. I've been ignoring my comics while I was reading my way through those books, so I got myself to a nice point where I felt like, okay, I can take a little break, I can catch up on some comics, and mostly I've just been reading like just random stuff, you know, just throwing stuff on the iPod or iPad just to, you know, just to look at some books. But not really anything specific, not really anything to talk about, just, you know, still trying to catch up and make my way through some different books and things like that. So not much. I'm actually more uh, more jazzed up for some of the, the upcoming things that we've got, you know, theatrically. You know, some trailers and info has come out about, you know, the next new waves of things that are coming along and, of course, I'm psyched to see Thor, and as we record this, I, I still haven't seen. I know you haven't seen it yet either, Mike. We'll probably have seen it by the time the episode actually hits. But uh, I'm really psyched for that. Just unfortunately, it's you know it's come out. I've been anticipating it so heavily, and then I've been working all, you know for like two weeks straight, so I haven't had a chance to go see it. But I'm uh, I'm anxious to. I hear good things. I saw it. I liked it. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> Well, I'm sure we'll we'll want to. I can't do believe they killed of... Thor at the end of it. Oh. when he fought Doomsday, it was just—I <laughs> mean, I didn't see it coming. I never thought Blowhard was that big of a threat, but I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> he was killed by the Wrecking Crew, which actually would probably be really awesome to see on the big screen. <laughs> you know, uh, we were I had Miley Cyrus in it, but. <laughs> Not my call, I guess. See, I I could I don't know, I can't tell if you're serious or not, Mike, but I could go for the wrecking crew. Oh, yeah. In a in a oh, I really yes. could. Them you know, if if they do it though, I think that they should even though this might be considered comic book blasphemy since he's not really associated with them, I think you get the wrecking crew, um you know, like augmented by um by the absorbing man, like have the absorbing man be a member of the team, and I think you put those guys all together, and you've got you know an an A list team of of bad guys that could uh, you know give Thor a run for his money and be a hell of a lot of fun. You know, visually that could be a lot of fun. You mean Brawny the absorbing man? <laughs> or no, that's Brawny the absorbent man. Sorry, right. <laughs> 
Although I don't know, has it been you know long enough now is that that people wouldn't immediately associate him with uh, with the Ang Lee Hulk absorbing I, man? I, I think thanks to the Edward Norton film and Avengers, people have probably forgotten that that film even existed. They all buried. That's okay with me. Backyard. <laughs> so it's just like you know, I, I feel bad for Jennifer Connelly. Uh, you know, and all that, but still. <laughs> I have a soft spot in my brain for that movie. For parts of that movie, especially. Parts of the movie, yeah. Parts of it. Sam Elliott was pretty decent as uh, as Thunderbolt Ross, but yeah, I don't know. Overall, eh, I thought it was done better later. Oh, there's, there's a bit of casting that I completely forgot to do when we did that Freaky Five. What's that, Sam Elliott? As Thunderbolt Ross, hell yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought he was really good. I mean, I I don't think I've ever seen him in something where I thought, you know what, Sam Elliott was crap in that. No, I I think I've liked him in everything I've ever seen him in. Even uh, even Ghost Rider, you know, he 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 elevated it just a little bit just by being in it. I, he's just one of I those like that movie. I you know I I. I see. This is the thing. You're going to get me in trouble saying that because then everybody and their brother is going to write in, going, "You like that piece of shit?" It's like, look, I, I don't, I could give a rat's ass about Ghost Rider, okay? So on that <laughs> level, I like. It I, I just don't care about it. So they could, you know, visually, I thought it was a really interesting movie. The story was stupid. Nick Cage is like, eh, whatever. So on that level, yeah, like you know what I really liked most about that movie though was um Chris ah, shit what Bloody is this? well? No. No. You weren't um, in the film, the, I'm very the, sorry. They scored Spider-Man 3. Young, Christopher, uh, Christopher Young. Young. Yeah. His score to that is awesome. I mean, he's just one of those guys he he hasn't done a lot of stuff that that I'm familiar with, but the few scores of his that I do have I really enjoy, and his score to that was really solid, really good stuff. But yeah, I mean, is it like you know my favorite? I think I watched it once, so there you go. But yeah, I didn't see what everybody was you know pissing and moaning about either. It's like, eh. But you know, Did we you all pay twelve dollars to see it in the uh, theater. No, no, I didn't. Well, there you go. <laughs> Actually, so there you go. But have you seen Thor two yet? No, um, neither of you guys. Yeah, huh? We were we were gonna see it last weekend, but I was sick, and then Rachel got what I had. I'm just I'm yeah. really curious to hear both of your opinions. This, so. Tomorrow, well, I mean, yeah, as of right now, I'm on my day off. You know, I'm I'm on my you're on vacation now, or not vacation? Or but I mean, you're on your days off. Days off, but this is my you know tomorrow will be my first day off in two weeks, so I just haven't had the, the time, but. I wanted to go to the premiere and just I, I couldn't make it. I couldn't. I'm curious as to what you think because you you've I, seen it. I have seen it. You lucky. F- um, in my opinion, it's it's a step up from the first one. See, that's what I'm hearing from every, everybody. I, every review I've heard, except for Leonard Maltin's, has been very favorable. It's it's it's. I mean, if you like the first one. It doesn't follow the formula of the first one, but it's got the elements of the and the feel of the first one. But it's it. it Mark Kambach put it really well, where it has a lot of Star Wars feeling scenes and Lord of the Rings elements to it, because a lot of it takes place in Asgard. And as a matter of fact, it's it, it it's kind of awkward when you're on Earth for a lot of it, but when you're on Asgard, it's pretty awesome. 
and uh, it's just a weird. It's a wacky movie. It's wacky. It's it's all over the place in in a lot of ways. Has a couple of lags in it, but not long, and they're necessary to propel the story. And when it goes, it goes. It was fun. It's not a it's not a masterpiece or like. You know, that one's going down in the history books as, you know, uh, one of the most awesome superhero movies. But it's like pure fun, fun time at the movies. I really liked it. Works for me. I mean, they don't all have to be the Avengers, you know. I mean, I, I'm I'm content with solid. And I I really enjoyed the first Thor film. The, the trailer so. for Captain the new Captain America looked really promising. That too. does look really good. I was like a, very like a gritty seventies like yeah. action movie, like yeah. action spy drama. Yeah, it. But, uh, uh, I, I was very nervous. I was getting more and more nervous the more stuff I saw and heard about that. But after seeing that trailer, I think I'm on board with the new one. I was I was thinking, yeah, it, it's it looks like um. I don't know. They're smart, man. They're just they're paying attention for the most part. I have to watch the rest of Shield to see what I think of that. I like the first one, but it seems like everybody's kind of like, "Wow." <laughs> no, that's because people want to fucking bitch about shit. So I wondered I know, about no, that. No. I mean, now I hope you're not lumping me in that. I only because no, no, I, no, no, I, no, I no, watched no. I watched the first uh, the first two and. Um, I got to be honest, I I didn't have anything to bitch about necessarily. I just, I found it lackluster, to be honest. I mean, that's that's honestly, you know, that's my my opinion of it in a nutshell. I was just kind of like, you know, that just wasn't really all that interesting. And I kind of walked away from it. Uh, But my wife just told me the other night, she goes, you know, that that show keeps taping. She goes, you you know, we need space on the DVR. Are you going to watch it? And I was like, yeah, don't delete it. I'll, I'll catch up. So I do intend to you know, try it again, but yeah, I was just really, you know, kind of unimpressed with it. I, I thought it was kind of dull. There, there's a certain level of disappointment that I have when everybody is just like, yeah, rah, rah, yeah, rah, rah, and then it comes out, I'm like, meh. It's right. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, when I saw it, I'm like, it's a low-budget TV show. They're, they're substituting a lot of style for special effects. And it was fun. That just that first episode it had neat shots from like inside the washing machine and stuff. I like the one shot of the of his car. You know, when you when you just sort of get the idea that he's launching the, his car out of the back of an aircraft carrier, but they just sort of do it out of the corner of the windshield of the car. So the special effects budget is it's probably green screened, you know. It was fun. You know, it's like one of those things where it's like, well, it's free. <laughs> it's free and it's only 44 minutes or so or whatever an episode is. I think everyone was expecting the Avengers. Yeah, well, what do you, you know? I think there I'm was looking... a certain expectation that it was going to be, you know, on that level and it's a and it's a TV show. No, I'm I'm looking so... at this as the TV show way for them to ta- to do a, a you know, where where the movies use the cut scenes at the ends to sort of link the movies together and little cameos and things happening in the movies to link them. This will sort of be doing the same thing, but on a more B-level and maybe hoping to, like, build stuff off the movies while right. giving 
little links to them at the same time, so it could get really fun, you know? I heard there was an episode that was supposed to be some sort of bridge with uh I hear the next Thor. one was supposed to come, was supposed to, uh, yeah, and there's a scene in Thor where um, Scott 2.0 turned to me and said they could totally do an Avengers episode on the, you know, aftermath of this scene right here. Hmm. And they did. It would be really cool. It would be really fun. I have to watch it. Uh, you know, like I say, I, I didn't really, I, I didn't have a beef with it at all. I mean, I didn't, I didn't stop watching it because, like, it's not like I watched it and was like, they got this wrong and they got that wrong and all oh, this just sucks. I, I just kind of watched it and was like, nah, you know. But uh, I, I will say that you know, I purposely didn't post anything about it after i saw it because i saw that everybody else was everybody like oh this else. is awesome and i was like well i'm not gonna do the lone voice in the room thing again so i didn't do that but uh honestly i mean the, yep. if i had to offer any criticism at all and this isn't even really a valid criticism because it was just my own misconceptions and and preconceptions is i was a little disappointed to find out that the the black guy jumping out the window and smashing the pavement in the first episode was not Luke Cage. I really oh, no. had, ex- I thought that was, well, it sounds like to, to, to be fair. They, they, they have, uh, they have plans for him. Just so. greenlit it. Yeah. I saw that. I'm actually really excited about that. I like, no, Scott, I'm not Bowery superheroes thing that they're talking about. Say what now? I'm sorry. The, the whole Marvel Bowery, it's like three Netflix series. It's yeah. like Devil. Um, what is it? Power is it? Power Man and Iron Fist, or just Power? No, Power Man, Iron Fist, uh, uh, Daredevil, Daredevil, and then down the road, they're all going to team up in a mini series called The Defenders. Sweet. I feel kind of bad because Andy Leyland laid out all the reasons why I shouldn't like X Men. Days of Future Past, and yet I really liked that freaking trailer. Yeah, I see exactly where he's coming <laughs> oh, from. I... Yet I'm still excited for it. So, see, I saw the trailer. I was excited for it just because I saw the trailer, and I was like, eh, it didn't. Sh- it just showed. It was just a little teasy. It didn't show any kind of structure to the- anything that said, okay, this is going to be an adaptation of the comic or anything. Really, oh, it was just sort of action scene, <laughs> and. And I was like, eh, I can't really tell what's going on or what the style of it is or what's going on. But that was sort of what the first class I tell trailer you what. was like for me. And I loved first class. So I'm thinking it's probably going to be – I'm hoping that it has – if it has the same feel as first class, I'm down with whatever the storyline is. But I can't tell from that trailer, you know. But I'm sort of – I'm jazzed for it anyway. But the trailer wasn't really doing anything for it. But I think it was a poorly constructed trailer, or that they have so much cool stuff in the movie that they did not want to show it in the trailer. So you just get like lots of close-ups and quick well, shots. None of the special stuff. effects are done yet. Mm. So ah. you have that going on. Okay. And, uh, I was reading about that. It's not like the Captain America two trailer. Which looked fucking awesome. Oh yeah, well that's like you can see that was made from a completed story. I, I think that's what, what else? Is there's what? There's X Men. There's there's Captain what? America Two, Cap, Cap um, Guardians. Which there's not really anything out there for it yet, but I know I'm excited for that. What else is coming along? I saw um, a trailer in front of that, which was 
Looked like more of the oh, same. Oh, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 looks pretty interesting. I, all that shot was, that was all Rochester stuff in in that trailer. It was uh, j- really, Just because really... I really ended up liking... Oh, is there a trailer the... for ASM 2? There was like a preview thing the... that kind of half-assed be considered a trailer, but uh, not really. It was, it was basically the footage they shot here in Rochester... Which is him chasing down like an armored car down the streets of New York. Look, all I'm saying is that Paul Giamatti is playing the Rhino, okay? And the shot they have of him is him in like an Adidas tracksuit. And the mm-hmm. Rhino's Russian, so I'm like, are they gonna like do him as like the quintessential Russian mob guy in like a fucking tracksuit and shit? That is awesome. <laughs> so That's perfect for Paul Giamatti too. Now, Chris, you saw Thor. This you saw the second one. Is yes. uh, Eric uh, Selvig? Is he in the second one? Now, what did he play? He was, he the, was the big scientist guy. Yeah, yeah, he's in there. Oh, okay, good. Pretty much everybody. Pretty much everybody's back from Thor. The the major Thor characters. You know, I mean, uh, uh, Natalie Portman's back, and her annoying friend is back. Oh, no, you shut your fucking mouth. I yeah, mean, she's, a, she open she's her really shirt? annoying in this one. She's really annoying. She should have been just chopped right out of this movie. Did, Does, did, I, did, I, did I tell you the... the, the <laughs> that was the conversation I had with Andy the night he saw the movie. He's like, there was too much gratuitous nudity. Unfortunately, it was all Chris Helmsworth. <laughs> it wasn't um, even nudity, uh, but it was uh, for the ladies. It I mean, got I'm a like, standing I'm, ovation. That movie got a standing ovation from the ladies. So, <laughs> I'm sure it did. It did. Well, there was so. some. There, there was some. Well, there was some. Uh, the uh, the Thor thing. Yeah, there's some of the ladies that were there for Thor, but the ladies were really there for Loki. And that was what when when Loki shows up in it, you could hear in the audience so a good part he really is the, the breakout audience. character of the avengers he's he? the he's the hannibal lecter you know thor's clarice but he's hannibal lecter and he and you know i mean he, i mean his the bad if you can even call him a bad guy he's a bad anti-hero or bad guy or whatever but they're always more in, he's more interesting than thor you know he's he's evil and and manipulative but that's what like makes the story exciting because they thought that was the point of the god of mischief. Exactly, exactly. That's his purpose. So, you know, it's everybody enjoy. You know, whether it's just like from a story and acting point of view, it's more fun to watch Loki than it. It's it's fun to watch Thor. There, the thing about this one is Thor is Thor through the whole movie. There's no like, oh, you know, I don't have my powers and. Humbled. This is Thor with his hammer, and uh, there's a great physical comedy scene with the hammer, where you know the hammer always has to return to him, where the hammer is getting slung back and forth try- as he goes through interdimensional portals. You know, it has to head to space, then back to Earth, and back to space. It's it's good. There's a lot of comedy in it. It's it's fun. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Cap 2, I'm really excited about. Yeah. It's, I'm glad I'm excited again now because, you know, the the first movie, you know, being a Johnston production, everything had me so psyched. I was definitely looking forward to more. 
And then things started to come out about it. Well, you know, obviously it's going to be about Winter Soldier because now we know, you know, that's the title and everything. That right there kind of was starting to put me off. And then I saw the costume, which looks very much like the one he was wearing in Secret Avengers. And I'm like, I don't know. But then that trailer came out and I'm like, holy shit, this looks awesome. So I'm back on board again with with Cap 2. I think I'm really going to dig it. One of the things that I like to see in a Cap story is him kind of mixing it up with people physically. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, I loved First Avenger. I thought it was an amazing film. It was everything a Captain America film needed to be. And he was awesome in Avengers. But I still really haven't gotten that Cap against 15 guys fight that I really right. want to see. And the moment in the trailer where he's in the elevator, he goes, so anybody, you know, anybody want to get off before this starts? And then it cuts to everybody on the ground but him. I'm like, this is what I want. And then him throwing the shield and Winter Soldier catching it. And three words make me want to see this film. Batrock the Leaper. Oh, is he in it? Played by uh, a French-Canadian MMA fighter. (laughs) So... And rumors Is he in the are trailer? Because if he's in the trailer, I no. completely missed it. No, he's not in the trailer. But uh, but from what I also understand, Crossbones might be in it too. I heard that. Yeah, I heard that he. Might. So it's just like you're 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 like it's like hitting all my cap buttons. Hell yeah! <laughs> so I am, and Robert Redford in a comic book film. Sure. So. My extent of knowledge of Crossbones beyond what little you know he was in. Um, the uh, Brubaker stuff where he was beating the hell out of Red Skull's daughter every issue is when he yeah. was it's one of the boss battles in uh, Captain America and the Avengers video game. Which, by the way, is sitting in the Strong Museum on is the... F- yeah, free. Kids I, can just go up and play it. I know it's not my copy. I know exactly no. mine, where mine is. I'm friends with her on Facebook, ironically enough. So Now, I... Uh... Crossbones was a character that popped up in the in the nineties part of the nineties era of Gruenwald's. Run. I was just gonna say he's a Gruenwald guy, right? And he was just this—he was the Red Skull's guy, right? And he was just this big bruiser, you know, almost like Bane. And I always liked him just because he he could give Cap that physical run for his money, right? And when Magneto dumped the Red Skull and buried him in the middle of nowhere uh, during Acts of Vengeance, which was the only reason Magneto got involved in the Acts of Vengeance, was to get to the Nazi. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he was the one that went and bar- dug up the Red Skull. So I, I you know, and he was he was in the the Liefeld revamp uh, for a little bit, but not really just there is just to be a big bruiser. And then you know, especially with the way. Uh, Brubaker treated him getting the Red Skull's daughter back to being evil again. Yeah, for like an entire issue, he just abuses he did. He the just shit, out the shit out of her. It was like, I mean, it was one of those things you read and you're like I'm a little uncomfortable I'm a, Yeah, exactly. I'm a little <laughs> weirded out because, I mean, she's presented in that story as being a kid. She's what? Like 16, 17 years old Yeah, and he's this big hulking, like you say, Bane looking guy and it's not like he's slapping her around. I mean, he's beating her. And I'm like, Jesus, this is like making me feel like I'm reading like, you know, something I shouldn't be reading, you know. But I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm hot and cold on the whole Brubaker Do I need to run. clear my browser history? After yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
but you know, I, I I'm hot and cold on the whole Brewbreaker run anyway. But but it gave me respect for that character because again, I my up until I read that, my full exposure to that character was strictly from a boss battle in a video game. So I, I knew nothing about him other than I thought he had a cool visual because he looks like evil Punisher essentially. Yeah, but I enjoyed him in the in the Brubaker stuff, so I'm anxious to see if he really is in the film, and they're going to develop him, you know, and hopefully he doesn't do like a, uh, you know, Batman and Robin, you know, esque Bane, you know, how he was completely useless in that movie, kind of. You just throw him in there so fans would, you know, giggle for a minute. If they actually use him and develop him, then you know that could be interesting. That you know, because I. Yeah, as much as I'm kind of tired of the whole opposite number thing when it comes to comic book films, at the same rate, I agree with you that Cap's a guy I'd like to see him fight somebody on again on his power level. He, I mean, he tussled a little bit with Red Skull, but you know, I, I want to see a full blown, you know, really knockdown, drag out fight, and I think uh, Crossbones could be that guy. So I don't know. We'll see where it goes. I have to agree with Thomas DJ, though. He and I were talking a a week or so back, and we just won at some point the guy playing Batrock to go, Oh, Captain America, you got me again! Oh, my God. You see, that's the thing. I hope that they don't try to, like, jazz him up and make him all cool and hip. I hope he's a complete friggin' joke, just like he is in the comics. I hope they play him like, uh, what was the name of... uh, uh, oh shit! What was the name of the villain in the very beginning of The Incredibles? Um, ah, damn it! In the very beginning of The Incredibles, Mister Incredible saves that guy from leaping to his death. Bomb voyage! That was his name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a complete joke. He's like this mime terrorist. Uh, and considering- I, now, don't get me wrong. I love Batroc the Leaper, but I love the fact that. You know, he should be an A-lister, but because he's such an incompetent ass, he's kind of a B-lister, you know? And Cap continually mops the floor with the guy. I, I love that about him. I want to see him kind of kind of treated that way, almost like a comedy relief villain. I think that could be a lot of fun, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see, you know, again, where they go with that. But you, you just made my night telling me that Batroc's going to be in it because he's one of my favorite cat bad guys just because he's he's ridiculous he's he's the you know he's a stereo he's such a stereotype that it's not even funny it's you know I wonder if French people would actually get kind of offended by him not that I give a rat's ass but I think not that they don't get offended by everything everything yeah exactly <laughs> I was like please don't say anything about me this is the old father odin and you should be listening to radio free asgard no no that's just not gonna work let's try this again this is the evil loki and if you hate thor as much as i do you should be all right let's just try one more thing jane foster here and you should be uh, risen all right Let's just keep this simple. Hello, everybody. My name is Tom Harris, and I do a podcast called Radio Free Asgard, which airs every Thursday over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. We cover the adventures of Thor, Hercules, and more from ancient times all the way up into the present day. We read old comics and make fun of them. 
I do ridiculous voices and generally make an ass of myself. So if that sounds fun to you, you should come join us, the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin, over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. And we'll see you there. Grom, I have never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember if we were good men or bad. Why we bought, why we sold on eBay. All that matters is that 50 cent Captain Kirk Migo Akachin figure. That's what's important. Cheapness pleases you, Grom. So grab me one request. Grab me the fruit of suburbia's garage sales. Let me drive those dealers away from that box of records and hear the lamentations of the children as I buy their Star Wars toys for a quarter. And if you do not listen, then to hell with you! Hello, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I make my living going to garage sales and then selling the junk I find on eBay. That's right, just like those assholes on TV. You can hear a podcast all about it where I tell you about all the good junk I got, how I sold it, give you tips, gripe, bitch, and moan, and even have friends come along with me. So check it out, it's called Garage Sale Gloat, and it can only be found at twotruefreaks.com. Which is, of course, the home of the Two True Freaks Network. Duh. Gathered together from the disparate reaches of geekdom, here in this restaurant booth are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. The Toy Geek Scott, the award-winning radio host Jeff, Scott's minion And Ron, just Ron Dedicated to truth, justice, and geek for all mankind It's Dinner for Geeks Dinner for Geeks proudly crusades at twotruefreaks.com. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics, because as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you're making me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have now moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? Twotruefreaks.com. A-Kids Comics, still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. Alrighty, folks, we are back with our Freaky Five. And this time out, since uh, Scott and I didn't see Thor 2, and Chris did, uh, we're not going to talk about it. But the Freaky Five is Thor-related, and it's the top five Thor parts. And we're going to start off with Chris. Yeah, this is a weird one, because I, I didn't can't see the comic correlation, but so I'm going to start with my number five Thor part, my knee. I think I, like, broke the ACL on it once when I did a stage dive at a concert. And so now whenever I step on my foot wrong, my knee will go all screwy. 
And that's so it's pretty Thor most of the time. Um, <laughs> number Dumbass. four, it's my back, my aching back. Number three, <laughs> my brain. My brain is always Thor. Four, my lumbago. Ah. Uh, and five, or well, I'm I can't even remember what number, but my fifth one. It's an odd condition because most people can't feel their Isles of Langerhands. But my Isles of Langerhands beating me up all the time, man. Uh. Uh, I think you have sadly misinterpreted this particular Freaky Five, my friend. Not your top five Thor parts. Your top five favorite parts of Thor, the the movie from a couple of years ago. The, the first uh, movie. Yeah, okay. I could fake it, I guess. The movie. Yes. Yes. Okay, number five. Uh, does it have that stupid hillbilly fam- space family? <laughs> <laughs> the dingalings. The dingalings. There's no dingalings in this one. Aw. I hope that's the third movie. <laughs> number Number four. No little kids in this movie. I didn't want no little kids in this movie. Um, and you chased no, them out of the theater. There's little kids right in the beginning of the movie when Thor and Loki are little kids and Odin's telling them a bedtime story. Oh, God. Just let me get through my five, man. <laughs> I like the director who played Woody Allen in that Woody Allen movie. He was really good. Um, Hannibal Lecter's dad in the movie was great. <laughs> number two. And I like that his girlfriend was a chick... That had sex with that other chick from the 70s show in the ballerina movie. Yeah. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> you know, the funny thing about your, your list is I understood all of it, and yet it didn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> so It's like you were speaking English, you were stringing words together in English, and I understood them, and yet, really, when you think about them, they don't make any sense. I get that a lot. That's weird. <laughs> What about you, Scott? It just occurred to me when he was talking about the dinglings that, you know... <laughs> my answers make oh, really? you That's think. really? That's what we're going back to. My, <laughs> my top fives make you think. See? You know, I'm, I swear to God, I mean this wholeheartedly. Man of Steel 2 could come out, and he could be wearing a pink tutu for all I care, so long as he ends up using Hostess Cupcakes... To defeat the evil threat at the end of it, I would love that shit. The last scene is Brian Cranston laying on the ground with his mouth stuffed with Twinkies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my oh, god, I, I would be on board. Rule for the that. world, but these delicious Twinkies. Yeah, oh, but, you, oh, but you gotta end it with "There's a big delight in every bite," you know. But if they did that, I would. God Almighty, I would love that shit. I swear, total pass <laughs> on everything else. I would take back everything else that I said. Would you say it's a line from a porn movie? I said maybe that's from the porn version. <laughs> your, your reality. Okay. Hey, five. did you ever Google um, Deep Space sixty nine to you find know, out I, if that was I did real? Not. I didn't. I have not. And I even be. listened to that episode too, and I still haven't done it. <laughs> um. Let's. Okay. So, top five favorite parts of Thor the movie. Okay. Number five, I don't know how you pronounce this dude's name. I'm going to go with Stellan Skarsgård. Does that sound right? 
That sounds about right. He played uh, Eric Zelvig in the movie. I thought he was awesome. I liked this guy. And what's funny was not long after I saw this, I saw that one where he's, uh, he's in, he plays the bad guy in that movie with James Bond. I think it's the girl with the dragon tattoo, I think it was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, something my wife took me to that I was like, eh, yeah, whatever. You know, it's a it's chick flick she wants. To, and it tattoo. was not a chick flick. And no. it was a great movie. And it was freaky as hell. And he was damn scary as the bad guy yeah. after you've Give seen adventure. him. As nice grandfatherly Eric Zelvig in this movie, then you see him as like the sick freak in that movie. I'm like, damn, this guy's got acting chops. He was really good, yeah. but I liked him in this movie a lot. He was very likable. He reminded me a little bit of like, uh, like the dad on that. Sh- God damn it, I can't even remember the name of that. Kramer on Kramer or no? Is that the name of it? Uh, Not Frazier. Frazier, that's it. Frazier. Yeah, you kind of reminded me of the dad. John Mahoney. Show. Yeah, a little it's bit. It's funny that I knew instantly what you were talking about too when you said. <laughs> uh, let's see, number four, Yggdrasil. I just thought it was really cool that you actually get to, you know, not only does Thor explain it, but you got to see it at the end of the movie. I thought that that was really cool. That's one of those Norse things that I always thought was a really interesting concept of how the universe worked. And they didn't shy away from that kind of thing with this movie. And I thought that that was really neat. Nice closing, like closing shot of the movie. Um, Number three, Asgard. I was, frankly, I was surprised that they really fully embraced this aspect of the character. I wasn't sure how they were going to treat that and if they were really going to embrace the the mythological side and and really go with okay this is the thor yes. of norse myth and it really was or they were going to pull like i i was afraid they'd pull a clash of the titans where maybe there was one room you know with odin sitting in it yeah like, yeah but no i mean asgard looked awesome it was a beautiful blending of of the classic kirby stuff and the simonson era stuff because those two looks are not the same. They are very yeah. similar. Yet they pulled it off nicely to where I, you know, it, it was a nice trick almost. Where I heard a lot of people that are fans of the classic Kirby stuff going, "Hey, it's Kirby's Asgard," and then fans of the Simonson stuff were going, "Hey, it's, it's Simonson Asgard." Thor, so I mean, Thor two, a little more Simonson than Kirby. Cool, that works for me. But I was really impressed with that. I really loved the Asgardian. Um, elements of the film and the you know just the parts of the film that took place in the asgardian realm were my favorite parts of the movie um number two going more for a moment here when thor tries to claim mjolnir and can't lift the hammer that's incredible i love that part of the movie the direction is awesome the, the acting is top-notch, the music, the camera angle, everything about that scene works, and I really, really love that. It's a, it's a really powerful scene when he thinks he's got it in the bag, he's just battled through all these guys to get to that moment, and then he can't lift it. I, I just That's a great moment in that movie. And my number one moment from Thor the movie is uh, it's really brief, you kind of you kind of got to watch for it to even catch it, but it was the moment that sold the entire movie for me. It was the moment in the theater where I was like, "Oh hell yeah, I am totally on board with this movie now." Up to a point, I was like, 
I'm digging this, but I'm not sure how much you know how much I'm digging this. If I'm gonna really like this movie, and then this happened, and I was like, okay, you, you, I, I'm here. You got me sold. And it was where the battle first starts in Jotunheim, and Thor is whacking bad guys all over the place and everything. And it's really you know it's looking good. There's a lot of action. There's all this cool stuff happening. But I was getting more of a, of a feel of, like, Lord of the Rings light than I was Thor. And then all of a sudden, I, I forget what we cut back from, but we're, we're focused on some other action. And it cuts back to Thor, and he's spinning Mjolnir, and he touches it to the ground, and all these ice shards start, start spinning out, like, really fast. And he's using it like shrapnel to take out the ice giants that completely sold me on the movie because that's a comic book movie. You know, that's a comic book moment, I mean. Oh, right yeah. out of the I'm... comics where he was spinning me on it. Because, I, again, you know, granted, CGI now allows us to get moments like that, but that's not something I, ex- I didn't expect that they would do a classic hammer spin that would yeah, look and it's one of those things like it does in the comics. Yeah, yeah, you see it in the comic books and you picture it in your head the way it would look. Mm-hmm. And they got that, yeah. Yes, yeah. And like I say, that was the moment I was completely sold on the movie because I, I did not expect to see Thor spin Mjolnir. I didn't expect Thor to do any of the things that he does in the comics when it comes to the hammer. I thought he would just have it and at most he might whack some people with it, but I didn't expect him to throw it and call for it and fly with it and all the things that he did in the movie. But the the one that I just had completely given up that I was going to see was that, that spin. And like I say, when he spins it, and just he just like barely touches it to the ice, but when he does, it just creates this spray of shrapnel. And I was like, "Oh my god, that's so cool!" It's just a great visual, and uh, that was definitely my favorite part part of the entire movie. So that's my five. This was a tough one for me because <clears throat> I went into Thor thinking, "Okay, I'm going to enjoy this because you know I enjoyed Iron Man." who I think I care about as much as I care about Thor. It's not like the Incredible Hulk, who I have a little more emotional investment in. Right. And I ended up really liking Iron Man, so I'm like, well, I'm probably going to end up liking this one. And the movie completely blew me away. Because uh, I've never really been a big fan of Thor in the comics, mainly because he's just never grabbed me, and I just haven't read too much uh, you know, of his comic book adventures. So it's it's not like any of the DC characters, where, again, I feel like I have an emotional connection. So I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to do my five, and then I've got a couple like honorable mentions, just because it was hard to not put them on the list. Uh, number five, Agent Coulson. Mm-hmm. Just, I fell in love with the character in this movie. When he's sitting there interrogating Thor, and he's just like, "You what? You you uh you def- you went through all my men. That was hurtful." And just the earnestness in his in his face, like just the comedic timing of it, was just brilliant and just uh, agent colson and the whole shield aspect of it just worked for me especially when he was bitching about tony stark that that made me audibly laugh uh, i was like is this one of stark's things when the destroyer shows up mm-hmm. 
number four, the score. The music in this film grabbed me right away. It was the majestic music that I wanted, and my favorite part is when, uh, musically and in the film almost, is when he gets his powers back. And the, the score just sweeps up, and his costume comes back on, and the kicking of Destroyer's ass is about to begin. And I really want somebody to take that footage and put in, like, He-Man transforming, like the, the sound <laughs> of, like, by the power of Grayskull and all that, just because I think that would be funny. But, no, just, just I was very impressed. I wasn't surprised that Patrick Doyle did the score because Kenneth Branagh was directing and that's what Kenneth Branagh does. <laughs> he has Patrick Doyle. It's his thing. I remember driving home from play practice with my friend Steph in high school, and she's got the uh, Much Ado About Nothing score in the car because she loved Patrick Doyle's music. In fact, I, it was a weird little aside, but uh, I asked her if she had seen Thor, and she said no. I go, well, you know Patrick Doyle does the score, and suddenly she wanted to see the film, so it's <laughs> funny. Um... Number number three, Kenneth Branagh directing. I love Kenneth Branagh. Hands down, one of my favorite actors, one of my favorite directors. Dead again. He's done Shakespeare. He's, he's done so. Shakespeare, but he, Dead Again is not Shakespeare, and yet it's a fantastic movie. But yes, if you're going to do Thor, and the themes and everything of Thor, getting a Shakespearean director to kind of set the tone is exactly what you need to be. And from all accounts, he was really into the project. Oh, yeah. And he did not... like it. And he did not shy away from the comic book elements of Thor. You know, he was... The the cape was there. Yes, it was off in certain points, but Thor flew. I mean, he used Mjolnir, but that's what he does in the comics. I mean, he flew, I think, in certain ways, more convincingly than Brandon Routh in Superman Returns. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was just like just the fact that he seemed to be so into it and did such a fantastic job of, of making this, this majestic story. I loved his directing number two, Loki and and not just Hiddleston's performance. Cause I think he's gone on to prove that one, he loves playing that character, uh, which is pretty cool in and of itself, but also just, we as comic book fans that are familiar with, with with Thor's history know that Loki is the bad guy. And for most of that film, they did not play Loki as the bad guy. Mm-hmm. He was right there with Thor. He was going into battle with him. And his turn and what they ultimately did with him, you know, you saw coming and yet it still felt like a big deal. Like I, I was still, I was so invested in them as brothers that you know when Loki, it's finally revealed that Loki's the one that you know instigated all the shenanigans and they fought. I felt bad for him for a little bit. You know, I wanted him defeated because obviously he's the bad guy. But I think they they did a good job of making him likable, making him being the villain you want defeated. But at the same time, you kind of feel bad about it afterwards. It's like you're not going to feel bad for the Red Skull. Red Skull's a Nazi. If you feel bad for a Nazi, you really need to go talk to an adult or, you know, a parent or maybe a clergy member. I don't know. Just turn yourself in. Yeah. But, you know, so that. 
Number one, Chris Helmsworth as Thor. What sold this movie to me more than anything was this guy at the beginning of the film was a complete asshole. He was full of himself, but he was so damn charismatic as he was doing it. Like when he when he walks in at the beginning and he's like pointing the hammer at people and being like, you know, yeah, I'm Thor. You can all bask in my glory. You know, I was just like, God, he's a cock, but I like him. You know, I don't want to, but I do. And seeing his fall... You're like those girls in high school, man. Uh, maybe <laughs> a little bit. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I could not honestly say what would happen if Chris Helmsworth... You know, never mind, we're not going to go down that road. Um, take a dark turn there for a second. Question uh, for you. I just remembered this. There's a scene in this movie that every time I see it, I wonder... Am I reading more into this than was intended, or am I reading this right? And it's the scene where he's fighting the big friggin' dude just before he goes to try to pick up Mjolnir. And there's a moment where he jumps up and Kirk kicks the guy. Like, double... Yeah. Now, is that some sort of whatever you want to call it, homage or whatever to the fact that he played Kirk's dad that basically Kirk's playing Kirk's dad is what put him on the map if it is it's a deep one but yeah. I like it I like it I wonder that every time I see that scene because Shatner himself has pointed out the fact that in reality <laughs> all that, that would hurt. do is knock you on your ass it's not going to hurt the other person Yet in that scene, when you see Thor do, do it, you know, it knocks the other guy down, which should not happen. That's, you know, against the laws of physics. But again, you know, you're dealing with a movie that already throws the laws of physics out the window. Thus, it works. But every time I see that scene, I instantly think Captain Kirk. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, he was Kirk's dad. I didn't know he was Kirk's dad. So, Wait, have you not seen the... Uh, what you call it, the Abrams Star Trek? No. Oh, okay. Well, you're you're a better man for it. <laughs> Let me take it's it out. Not that I just. It, it's you see, you say that, and yet my father keeps telling me I need to see it. So it's kind of weird. So, <laughs> you know, of all people, my dad is pushing me to see a science fiction film. You're better I'm, off seeing I'm, that than Into Darkness. Well, yes, that's this is certainly true. I I I don't know what your level of Trek geekdom is, so. Um, I don't know whether you would whether you would enjoy it or. I'd probably you know, enjoy it. Like really if, if I enjoyed it, it, would probably be as like, wow, that's an because I. I probably enjoy it as like, wow, that's an interesting action piece, mm-hmm. uh, or anything. But I, you know, I I, I like Star Trek. Uh, I am a next gen guy, but that's just you know what I came up with basically. Right. Uh, you know that's that's the first one I watched. I I, I now understand the gestalt of Kirk. And especially after watching that Captain's documentary that Kirk, that Shatner did, you know, I have a whole new level of respect for everybody involved in the entire franchise. So uh, it, it'll be interesting uh, if and when I ever see it. I mean, it's on Netflix. It's not like it's not like it would cost me anything to watch it. But Helmsworth just or Hemsworth or however you say his name because I always screw it up. He just you know from him like throwing the coffee cup down but to I think really what what ultimately made me like him 
as an actor and as and as that character of Thor is that Thor doesn't have his abilities and yet he's going to go fight the destroyer knowing he's probably going to die but he wants his newfound friends to get to safety and that's like heroic on like an epic level which is why he gets his powers back so you know I just I, I liked this film way more than I thought I was going to honorable mentions go to Hawkeye's cameo oh shit I, yeah I forgot all about that yeah brilliant because yeah. you don't really see it until... I mean, he grabs a purple bow, but you don't really realize it until he goes Barton, and you're Barton, just like, yeah. there's a five percenter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, when I was in the theater, and then uh, and Coulson calls him Barton, and I was like, oh, holy shit, it's Hawkeye, you know, which I don't even think my kids caught, but when I said that, then they were excited for it, because they both like Hawkeye. But Yeah, I forgot all about that. It's a great one. Also, honorable mentions go to the fact that they made... Thor getting hit by a bus, like a, a, a running gag that actually made me laugh every time I saw it. <laughs> Especially in the hospital when he's just. <laughs> My favorite gag, I think, is he, when he walks into uh, a pet store and he says, I need a horse. <laughs> I just yes. love that. I love that part. We know we have cats and dogs. Do you have one that I could ride? <laughs> <We> just... <laughs> the, uh, and Cat Penny. Um, honorable mention goes to her because mm-hmm. I I liked her more than I liked Natalie Portman in all honesty yep. so and it's nothing against Natalie Portman because I like her as an actress I mean I loved her in V for Vendetta and I'm like one of five people on planet earth that likes the movie V for Vendetta so well, I you know. mean there, there, there's just there's two big reasons to like her better that's all <laughs> <laughs> Andy Leyland will get this joke sweater puppies uh-huh. uh, there you go <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, Thor is is one of my top favorite Marvel movies at this point. As a matter of fact, it's mm-hmm. like Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man. Like the first ones of all those series, I just were great origin stories. I mean, I don't want to count Avengers because I think Avengers is a different species. I mean. Yes. It's like saying my favorite Superman score is the John Williams one. I mean, it's like, really? What else was it going to be, Mike? Seriously. So, <laughs> but of the of the of the single character movies, you know, it's just they've all been good to one extent or another. I mean, you, you know, people crapped all over Iron Man two, and yeah, it's not as good as the first one, but I enjoy the hell out of that movie just, you know, top to bottom. I'm so glad they replaced, what's his name, Don Cheadle. I thought oh, it was such, God, a, yes. such a better fit for that character. Nothing against Terrence Howard, because again, I think he's a good actor, just not for the role of James Rhodes. So, but, that's all I got. Excellent. So, I just want to remind everybody that next week actually after this one comes out the week after this will be Scott's and my scintillating Thor commentary that's right it's going to be epic it is actually literally going to be epic epic my nose you're going to do a, you're going to do a, 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 a commentary for the movie epic is that what, is that what I'm <laughs> I mean it was a pretty good film I just didn't see you guys doing a commentary we like to keep people on their toes so well, what time is it? Oh, it is time for everybody's favorite part of the show. Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. 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 
the, the part where somebody passes gas? <laughs> no, oh, that I, was just already. insert insert open. I know. I just it's just I hear this. <sighs> I wasn't here last week, so I'm I'm figuratively cracking my knuckles now. Last month, literally cracking my knuckles. All right. Yo, Chris, you were here last month. Scott wasn't. No. It was just you and I last month. No, wait. I'm the it one. It was you and hot. Scott. Never mind. It was you and Scott, you drug thief. I'm so confused. <laughs> Scott's the only one who knows that he was there. <laughs> wait, was I there? I edited it. <laughs> this is turning into who's on first, so let's. <laughs> Third base. base. <laughs> <laughs> um, this month on Get Chris to Read a Goddamn Superhero Comic, The Return! I am reading Nova Number 1 and 2 by Jeff Loeb and Ed McGuinness. It starts with this guy telling his kid Sam about his space adventures with Tony the Tiger, Rocket Raccoon, Forearm Bug, and Orion Slave Girl as they save the galaxy as the Nova Squad or something. It turns out that he is just a drunk janitor who pukes in urinals. This is kind of embarrassing for Sam, who gets beat up by everyone, including the bald principal, who looks like that bald principal in that movie that I can't remember. Um. Actually, Back, back to, to the, the future. future. Uh, the bald He's Mr. Strickland. In back to the Future named Mr. Strickland. Actually, well, you haven't lived until you've walked into a Mexican restaurant and there he is drinking beer at the bar. Oh, no way. Dragon Con, a couple years ago. Did you call him a slacker? No, we, we left him alone. Shag made us. Oh, I would totally screw <laughs> oh, all oh. people. Shag's like, he's just having a beer. Leave him alone. Wait, wait, wait. Our shag? Yeah. Yes. What a pussy he turned out to be. Doesn't stay in <laughs> character, does he? Speaking of which, <clears throat> let me knock a few brain cells out here. Careful, Actually, only got a couple left. I know, you have to be careful. Actually, the kid's not too bright, because the cutest girl in school likes him, but he would rather skateboard on his skateboard. She is kind of cute, except for the terrible accident, which has left a few staples in her face. (laughs) His dad tells the daughter one of his space drunk stories and promptly disappears. Sam thinks his dad is on a hesh bender to Top's bar and goes to look for him, but his skateboard hits a breadcrumb and he knocks himself into a three-day coma. When he wakes up, he sees Orion Slave Girl and Rocky Raccoon. They leave him his dad's helmet after shooting at him. The helmet has a garbled Princess Leia message on it from his dad, who is captured or dead or something. Then the helmet makes him fly and heals his concussion. When he gets home, he decides to try his Nova helmet out and flies all around until bang zoom, Alice, straight to the moon. He looks up, and standing 20 feet over him is the guy with the toga and water on the brain. I think he's called the peeper or something. (laughs) The end. (laughs) Right? Because he peeps in on people. That's right. (laughs) I know know comic 
books. What did you think of pants? (laughs) What did you think of Nova one and two? I liked it. It had a lot of like, you know, it had a lot of just like, I mean, it's always great to see a kid getting to fly, you know, having a kid do the fly thing. Um, I thought they could have done that whole, done it all in one issue. But I guess that's how they do comics these days, is they stretch it out like that. Yeah, that's why I I had to do the first two, because... There's not a lot of story in the issue of this. No. But I think you take these two together as the opening, you know, the opening shot of the story, then... Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty damn good myself. Mike, what did you think of it? Well, um... I'm kind of a mark for this right away because we're my favorite Superman art team or creative team from the 2000s. And while I didn't like it at first, I came to really like what they did with the Hulk. So Mm -hmm. it's just like, you know, you put these two together, I'm going to be there. What I liked most about it is that it's what Jeff Loeb does best. It's got a lot of heart to it. You feel for these characters. Mm-hmm. This feels like a television show. Yeah. But it's still a comic book. You know, he doesn't lose sight of the fact that he's telling a story in a comic book, so they do things in comics that you can only do in comics. And that's not to say that you couldn't do this visually inter- as a visually interesting thing on TV, but, you know, double-page splashes don't work on television, you know? So... I I liked it a lot. I liked how you you know you you know this kid is being kind of a snot, and then you know you know he's going to realize you know he's going to learn that his dad's telling the truth, but he does it in the funniest way possible with that that uh, cliffhanger with Rocket Raccoon, and then he calls him a raccoon, and Rocket Raccoon nearly loses his shit on the kid. I mean, it's just. <laughs> It was fun. It was great. And what pisses me off more than anything is I have found out that people have actually given Loeb shit for naming the character Sam. Because that was his son's name. Oh, that's oh you're going right. to name it after your dead kid? It's just like, what, are you a are you an asshole? I mean, yeah, seriously. Actually, yes. That's a, there's yeah. a definitive answer to that, yes. <laughs> I mean, so what if he named it after his kid? He just, you know, it's he just wanted to use the name, and that's a great way to kind of have you know your son live on, you know, as a as a superhero, you know, and what, just what the to, hell kind of question is that even to ask somebody anyway, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just, oh god, I heard him talking about that, and it I, I literally got angry because that's just a it's just a shitty thing to do to another human being. But no, Scott made as the comment. As opposed to what? Is, is there supposed to be some other name he's supposed to be named or something? Or they just didn't like the idea that he named the character after his son? I don't know. I, I, can, I don't even want to think about yeah, what a person exactly. like that, you know. But Scott made the point that, you know, when First I got through this. First dead two- son character ever. <laughs> uh, Scott made the comment to me uh, offline that you know, once I read the first two issues, that I'd really want to read the rest of it, and he's absolutely right. Yeah. I'd always kind of plan to pick this up in trade because I figured that would just with <laughs> as much as I love in McGinnis, you can trade their books very easily uh, and 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 get as much out of it as the single issues. So uh, I am very glad that I read these because uh, I haven't read a whole lot of new Marvel in the last couple of years, and this was just a ball. This was fun. Oh. This was everything I wanted a comic book. 
of all the Marvel titles I'm reading right now, which granted are not many, this is my personal favorite one. Um, the first five issues of this is a complete arc. So I mean, it it, all, it almost read as if you could read the first five, and it's like you know if you if you know if that's you know if that gives you your fill, then you know you could kind of jump out. Because my only criticism of this so far is issue six starts out, you know, and this is this character's first appearance to 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 my knowledge, so far as I can tell, because this gives you the complete origin up to this point. Nova had been Richard Ryder, who's only you know occasionally referenced in this story so i had a little bit of trouble ascertaining wait who is this who's sam's dad then if he's not richard Ryder, yet he's a nova from earth i don't know enough about nova to know for sure but it kind of felt like i don't know is this a retcon is this new continuity is he a nova that we've never met before but he's going to be like retconned into i mean what the hell was the deal here so i was a little lost on that but really following and really digging the story and really enjoying it. But then all of a sudden you get to issue six and the previously column right at the beginning talks about everything that's happened between the end of issue five and the beginning of issue six. And it's saying about, you know, he went on these adventures with the Avengers and he talked to Thor and now he's, uh, he might possibly join it. And I'm like, when the hell was this? So evidently there's some event or something somewhere where he guest starred in other books or something. But it's one of those tropes of modern comics where they tell you about it, but they don't tell you where to find it. And it's really aggravating when they do that. And if I wasn't digging this book so much, I'd have probably dropped it right then and there just because that sort of thing really pisses me off. It's like, why can't you allow me to follow? You've got me invested but now you're not allowing me to follow the story. Now I've got to go and chase all over the internet to find to try to figure out where are these stories that you're referencing. That's aggravating, but it's still you know otherwise it still remains a really solid read. I'm I'm digging the book a lot. I like this, you know, the whole novice superhero thing. I'm always a mark for that sort of thing, but especially when it's done as successfully as this, where the dialogue is very natural. And feels very real to me. But anyway, yes, I agree with that. <laughs> it's a simple story, and it's simply told. I I I like the scene with the mom where he confronts the mom, and she's like, "Hey, I'd be really happy if you grew up to be half half your dad." And you get some sort of hint that the mom knows what's going on because you get that shot oh, the- where she's sort of looking out the window and seeing him fly exactly. off. I love because everything on her face says, "You lied to me. I know you lied to me, but I knew this was going to happen." Uh huh. Like it's not. It's it does. It's not a surprise to her. Right. Right. That that he's got the helmet because I, I think she always knew that it was. Uh, he she knew this was going to happen. Right. Right. They had like it was like a little quiet period, and someday, they always come back, especially in these stories. They but yeah, you know, issue number one. You mentioned it that you know, just seeing the 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 sheer joy on his face as he's figuring out how to fly. I mean, that Loeb is a is a you know, with all due respect to several other people on the Two True Freaks feed, uh, I am a total mark for Loeb as a writer because I think he can do emotion 
in a book that will grab me every single time. The moment in For All Seasons, for example, where Jonathan is telling Clark about, you know, basically this is this is the conversation. You know, you're you're not from this planet. And Martha turns and is crying. You know, Tim Sales art sells that, but the writing was there from love. And it, it always makes me, you know, choke up a little. His take on Batman, I thought, was always crystal clear and really great, you know, especially in The Long Halloween and in Dark Victory. And even with the Hulk, I mean, he took a, he took a concept that at first I hated. Red Hulk seemed like the dumbest thing on the face of the planet. And Jeff Loeb made me buy into it to the point where I'm like, I really like this character and I'm kind of glad he's around and <laughs> I'm glad he's on the cartoon and he's voiced by Clancy Brown and all that. But he Loeb did something that I never thought you could do with the Hulk and kind of with the help of Greg Pak, they gave the Hulk a family. And you never thought of the Hulk as being like the Superman family or the Batman family. I'm thinking of the Hulk family with like a big Hulk woman with like blonde hair, like tied in ponytails and kids. I don't don't really care about Scar, but Scar is there and Red Hulk and Red She-Hulk and all that other stuff. And these things came up and they were all great. And the, I mean, the sheer genius, the sheer unmitigated genius that if you're going to have a team of villains to fight the defenders, what are you going to call them? The offenders. And who are they made up from? They're made up from the like direct opposites almost of the defenders. It was just, it was, I, I can't say enough things about Jeff Love. And he just, I knew I was going to like this book the moment Scott said, we're going to read it. And I was not disappointed. I always can tell that Scott liked something when, by the way, he's like, I'm very curious to see what you think about this. <laughs> <laughs> what you're going to think about this. Yes, that's, sometimes I read that as good and sometimes as bad, but this time I definitely took it as good. I knew so little about this, about any of this, that I thought Nova was a woman. Like a hot woman. Nova super- was a woman. Yeah, you're, well, you're thinking oh, of... Was- uh, Johnny Storm's girlfriend Frankie Ray when she um, saved the Earth by Herald becoming Harold of Galactus. Yeah, right, that was right. run. That that she was called Nova, but uh, Nova was it, also the name that um, Richard Ryder went by. Because I don't know if you remember this character, Chris, because he was he was like one of those I like. I, I would equate him to like in our time of collecting comics, he was kind of like long shot where. Right. He made the scene, was a bit of a splash, and then a couple years later, nobody remembered him anymore. Uh-huh. That was kind of Nova. He, he made the scene. He was, I think he was a Wol- Marv Wolfman creation, if I'm not mistaken. And it was kind of Marv Wolfman's attempt to bring Green Lantern to the Marvel Universe. But I got him as Green kind Lantern. of a... Yeah, very. Yeah, this is... Peter very, Parker type Peter character. Parker type of character, but with, okay. a, with a Green Lantern shtick. And... Yeah. I always enjoyed that character. A lot of uh, a lot of Carmine Infantino stuff in that, but I enjoyed it in that in that way you do where you're like, ah, eh, you know, that's kind of cool, but you don't really follow it, you know? Right. And uh, but he's always just kind of he's just one of those characters that's always been there, but I've never really you know followed him or, or anything like that. So I knew who he was, 
But then, of course, when I got interested not long ago in, well, you know, the the Guardians of the Galaxy movies coming up pretty soon. So I wanted to get up to speed on what what's going on with that. So I started, you know, backtracking it to find out who is this incarnation of that team that's going to be in the movie. And that led me to uh, Annihilation and all that stuff. So I was reading all that stuff. Well, one of the things that was involved with Annihilation was Nova. So I was reading all that. And then something weird happened right about the time that they were doing Marvel Now. All those books that spun out of Annihilation and all the uh, basically all the cosmic stuff got a, a not, not even like a reboot, but like a retooling. So like they canceled all the series and then they brought them back. And so like Guardians of the Galaxy is back with a whole new creative team. And I've mentioned you on the show before. I'm still reading that, but like there's a disconnect somewhere. Like something happened, but we haven't been filled on and you know filled in yet as to what happened. And that's the same thing I'm getting with Nova because at the end of the previous Nova series, Ryder was lost and presumed dead. And now this one picks up, and there's not even a mention of Ryder. It's like who the hell is this guy? And with Guardians, that's been aggravating. With this, it was actually kind of a you know a shot in the arm. It was like okay, I'm I'm digging this because I like Ryder, but I'm not attached or invested. So if they want to take this concept, dust it off, and give it kind of a Kyle Rayner approach, that's fine with me. And that's kind of what they've done with this. And I, I really, so far, I'm really digging it. I, I like the character. I like the new look. I like the power set. The art's fantastic. I, I've really been digging this book a lot. Of the of the current Marvels I'm reading, this has been my favorite one. Because it's just fun. I, it, it owes back to a, a, a 70s style of just plain fun comics to me. I'm just in that surreal zone where I can't believe that there's going to be a movie with Rocket Raccoon in it. I know. I, I, I mean, it's it's surreal. It's like a character that I really enjoyed, but he was a sideline character and and kind of obscure to me. So to the general public, that you know, it's, it's going to be a brand new thing. But I think I liked him because his character was a riot. He was just a riot because he was like a, a cute. It, that was during the. Remember, there was sort of a little. What are the funny animals? You know, resurgence or, you know, when the uh, Peter Parker, the Amazing Spider Ham was coming out. I think there was like Ed the Horse or something like that. There was some indie comic, but. And and then Rocket Raccoon, came out, and he was kind of savage, you know, and kind of like a little Wolverine, you know, in his character. And I think that's going to actually be very appealing to people who are just like, I'm going to go to this action movie because it looks like it has space and lots of explosions and stuff like that. I think the, the marketing potential of Rocket Raccoon is mind boggling and, Again, it's surreal that I could go and get, for the first time, like a Rocket Raccoon toy. I mean, it's going to happen. I'm sure they're making the Rocket Raccoon toys. And get oh, yeah. Them. I, yeah. I, I have seen them. Yeah, there has been one. There was a there was a pack. Um, those Marvel Legends, or whatever they're called, the figures that are out now, there was a four-pack with uh, with the Guardians, and he was one of them. 
That's it's just so that's so weird. I know it's great. <laughs> it, uh, get, don't get me wrong; it reminds me of when the Traveling Wilburys came out, and I'm like, "Wait, somebody got George Harrison, Ringo Starr, Bob Dylan, and Tom Petty all in a room to, and Roy Orbison in a room together, and they wrote songs and made an album." And you know, for a couple of days, my brain just sort of frizzled, and then I actually heard it, and it's just like. Whoa. How does this happen? <laughs> this is like something my brain spit out into the universe and said, please give me this, laughing, thinking that it was a ridiculous request. And it's like, yeah, I hope it's not some like Howard the Duck. <laughs> I know. But, you know, so far, every so. no, I don't either. Everything I'm hearing so far... It seems like uh, Marvel and Disney have the highest confidence that they have well, another potential I, franchise on their hands here. I have the feeling just just because they're even biting off this project, that they're attempting to do it, means to me that somebody probably at the forefront had like a fantastic, you know, here's my idea for this or my script or treatment for this. And they read it and they said, Oh my God, this is a great idea. You know, there had to be something above and beyond about this project that got it greenlit because there's so, I mean, other than you can't just say, well, Marvel movies are doing really good because there's so many characters that they, you would think they would do before, Guardians of the Galaxy and Rocket Raccoon. Right. So that's why I have high hopes. I'm like, this isn't just something, this isn't a cash-in, you know? Because if it is, it's like not a really good idea for a cash-in. I think it's going to be one of those things that gets people by surprise, and I'll bet you it's one of those things they're going to put out there, and people are, you know... Comic book people are probably going to be all over it, but the general populace is going to be like, Meh. but then the critics will be like, this is a really fun blah, 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 you know, and that'll get people into the, the and they'll go, well, you know, I did enjoy the hell out of the Avengers. So I have, I have high hopes. I hope that doesn't spoil my experience when it comes down to it. But I also know nothing about the characters besides what I've been reading in in the comics monthly Monday, so I don't have a lot of investment in it either. So, right. I'm really. When is it coming out anyway? It's like months from now, isn't it? Guardians, yeah, it comes out sometime next year. I'm not sure of the release yeah. date yet. I'm not sure if they've uh, if they've stated the release date yet. If they have, I haven't seen it. And, uh, Bad Disney yeah. employee. <laughs> Definitely psyched for it though. Me too. What was the other one that I read? Was uh, it last month or was it two months? It was, it was a while back. Was it? Yeah, I think it was an issue of the Guardians, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was with the, the... Yeah, okay, so it was just how they were bringing the Guardians. Because this had a similar feel to that. It was like a... I think it was the Zero issue with the origin of Star-Lord, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah. These both had the similar feel of... Of... Uh, you know, something that happened in the past coming, you know, coming back. Right. And, and getting revisited, so... Both of yeah. them, uh, both of them were daddy issue stories, too. That's true. That's true. 
Daddy. <laughs> well, uh, it's such a rarity in comics those daddy issues. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, have we got anything else on this one? I think I'm pretty good. I'm All good. Right. I think I'm comic up for this month. Sweet. Sweet, sweet comics. This episode is dedicated, with love and respect, to the memory of Nick Hardy. You put your hand on your head, hand on your head. put your foot in the air, then you hop around the room, in your underwear. There ain't never been nothing quite like this Come on baby, it's the Wilbury Twist Lift your other foot up Fall on your ass Get back up Put your teeth in the glass There ain't never been nothing quite like this It's a magical thing called the Wilbury Twist Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook, just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks.